How many hours and years of our lives do we spend on work? For nearly all of us, we spend 30 plus years and one third of our days in our vocation. More time, perhaps, than we spend at rest or at play. But this isn't a problem. Why? Because work is good. Work needs to be integrated deeply into our lives and must be in line with our most important goals and values. And if it is, we have a far more complete and fulfilling life experience. Welcome to the How People Work podcast, where we explore the intersection of how humans think and act and how they apply themselves to their work. When you understand both of these things, you'll be equipped to be insightful, compassionate, and compelling leaders. All right, welcome back to How People Work. This is one of your hosts, Jordan Peace. Jason Murray is joining me as usual. Uh, And Jason, tell us what we're talking about today. Excited to record this episode with you. Yeah, so we're on the third episode now. And the first one, we talked a little bit about our origin story. And we'll come back to pieces of that in future episodes, I'm sure. Um, But in the second episode, we got a little bit into some of the generational differences going on in the workforce. We did a little bit of a high-level overview of some of those things. But uh, today, I want to dig in a little bit more into that topic because I think there's some things that are really interesting and some ideas that are maybe um, a little bit more unique that people haven't heard about necessarily and ways to think about framing this uh, problem, if you will, a little bit differently in the workplace here. So, um, I mean, I think it's safe to say that work has changed pretty dramatically over the last hundred years, Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in the last 20 to 30 years, especially. And so today I want us to talk about some of those shifts that have taken place, give some framing and background on that shift, discuss some of the ways that companies and leaders can be thinking about how they can adapt to these changes as well. So hopefully some you know practical takeaways for uh, the folks listening. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, you all may remember that uh, we talked about the five generations that are in the workforce today. And um, you know, one of the things that's really taken place is as we've shifted to this marketplace economy that we have today, as opposed to sort of an agrarian and then industrial economies that we've lived through over the last kind of thousand and then last hundred years, um, we all kind of got pushed together working in the same places versus, you know, working on farms or working on skilled trades or working in uh, factories and so forth when you know, industrialization was taking place. Um, and so then we progressed through the service economy kind of in the middle of the last century. And that's a lot of what our kind of industry is based on today. And now we're living through this technological innovation mm-hmm. of really the last 20 years. And I think it's unlike anything that we've really seen before. Um, and so one of the concepts that I want to put forward today, uh, we can't claim full credit for this because uh, it's an idea that Christopher Lockhead and the folks at Category Pirates uh, first started talking about this idea, but I think it really resonates and has a lot of practical implications for today. So um, I'm going to set this up a little bit yeah, and then uh, we kind of jump in because I think there'll be some fun things for us to kick around here. So... Um, we can claim credit for it if no one's heard it yet. But I think that's okay. I think that's fair uh, enough. Podcast fair norm enough. we can have. Um, so what I want us to do momentarily is maybe suspend our thinking about traditional generational differences, okay. um, and let's just divide humans up into really just two groups. So Dangerous. one group. Dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
but we like things simple. We like things simple at Fringe. Uh, So one is people who grew up in a world where technology was at best a supplement and at worst a distraction to their in real life experiences, Mm -hmm. as we might call them. And we're going to call these people native analogs. So these are your typically boomers, Gen Xers, and your old soul millennials, which you can put us into that category. I think we firmly fit in there, yes. Uh, And the other group is made up of those who grew up in a world where technology was really the, the central part of their life experience. They don't remember a world where devices and kind of the digital world wasn't a core part of it. And so these immersive digital experiences are really supplemented by their in real life experience, Mm. if you want to call it that. And so in some ways you might say real life is the distraction for those individuals. And we're going to call Mm. these people uh, native digitals. And so these are generally most of your millennials, except for the old soul millennials and your Gen Zers, especially. And so, you know, these two groups of humans really have fundamentally different ways of seeing and experiencing the world. So that dividing line is about age 35. And if you're older than that, you're really the last of a dying breed of humans that is soon to be replaced by this new kind of human. And that's just what it's going to be. This is what it is. That is what it that's is. That's not a comforting thought, but I well, I agree with it. I was, I was actually excited to tee this up for you because I think there's a, a movie reference here that is applicable in bringing some of this into perspective. And so you're the one that it's actually helpful. told me about this movie first. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about it, but um, Ready Player One oh, yeah. um, is actually, I think, Loved a useful movie. metaphor to some of these topics. So if you want to yeah. give the audience maybe a, a quick overview. Of yeah, that. well, I, I, wa- I remember watching that movie on a plane, actually, which is where I watch most of my movies these days because, you know, with five kids at home, there's not a lot of time to do that. But when you're on when you're traveling, you get to watch movies um, as opposed to doing emails like a responsible person. Um, but yeah, th- this movie set set place in the not so distant future, I recall. And uh, initially the movie starts out where everything's very um, animated, kind of cartoonish. And so you're like, oh, it's an animated film, right? And it it turns out that after the first like 20 minutes, you realize that what you've been watching are people playing a video game. It's, you know, it's VR and there's just really, you know, kind of engrossed in this game. And over the course of time, you realize that it's not just a small group of people playing this game, but it's every person on earth plays one single game mm-hmm. and they play it all day long. And that is the, that is their life. Their life is the game. They work in the game. They play in the game. They fight in the game. They earn credits and they yeah. discover treasures the and they go to school and they do, they do all of these things. And then they log off to feed their physical bodies mm-hmm. and, and sleep and they get back and they, they play the game. And, uh, and as a gamer, well, used to be, again, before life got so busy and so forth, I, I've always loved video games, and the concept was really um, intriguing to me. But what was so stark was this idea, you, you kind of referenced it earlier, that the, what I would call real life was the kind of the sideshow. Mm-hmm. It was the distraction from the game. Well, let me eat real quick. And they, you know, you'd see some characters occasionally just shoveling down right. food to like log back in because they're missing some opportunity of some kind, mm-hmm. right? Taking this break. And uh, it, it, it ended up being really kind of a fascinating movie. I don't want to spoil the whole thing for anybody who hadn't seen it. But, but in the end, you, you sort of see that there's a little bit more balanced return to the scenario where people realize 
actually maybe playing this game all of the time is maybe we're missing out on some things mm -hmm. in life. Maybe we're missing out on some other kinds of human interaction that might be healthy and the world kind of change and shifts towards the end of the movie, but it's, it's really good. Yeah. 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 And I think it's just a helpful metaphor yeah. to just sort of this Super paradigm helpful. of, yeah. you know, a digital world yeah. being sort of the primary world that mm -hmm. these individuals operate in. And um, it's probably not uh, overstating it to say that for, you know, digital natives and Gen Z's in particular, that, you know, they grew up in a world where those experiences were so kind of part and parcel of right. their everyday life. And so, I mean, I think it'd be funny to uh, talk about some examples, maybe some things that we remember from our own life that yeah. are particular to uh, what native analogs might experience. And so I'm curious for you, like, what are some, you know, moments or things that for you feel very, you know, particularly analog yeah. in your One experience? One of the things that's really interesting about raising children at this period of time is I remember talking to my parents or even my grandparents about their experience of life and thinking, oh, wow, that's like pretty different than my experience. But when, now when I compare to my childhood experience and my kids' childhood experience, it's as if we are 10 generations apart. Mm -hmm. They look at me like I've got three heads uh -huh. and they're just like, so when you wanted to know something, you had to find it in a book, book? you know, like just... <laughs> Like yeah. brains all over the bedroom. They like just, I mean, that is unbelievably foreign. For one, that you'd have to find it in a book. For two, that you wouldn't know the answer to something instantaneously is mind blowing. Like, because whenever I'm like, oh, I can't remember the name of that movie or that actor or that whatever, they're just like, look it up. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I, and sometimes I'll actually resist. I'm like, actually, no. I want to see if I can remember. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I don't want the answer immediately because I'm the digital analog or yeah. the whatever it's called, native analog, sorry. And I, I don't, I like resist it. Yeah. You know, it's too easy, right? Um, but, you know, some of the things to talk about with them, like not having cell phones. Like, right. well, if you're in a car on a long drive, like how would, like how would what mama you call you? Or like how would grandma call yeah. you? Or how, whatever, like, we wouldn't talk. Just call when you get there. Well, yeah, right. We would. I mean, if we had to, we'd stop somewhere. And inside of buildings, there would be phones, like right. a gas station. Or, I mean, if you were desperate, you'd knock on someone's door and, mm -hmm. and you'd ask them to use their phone. And you'd, you'd go into a stranger's home to use a <laughs> Like, yeah, actually, people would Yeah, the phone often, was attached to the wall. Uh, yeah, it was attached to the wall. And it had a cord and all this stuff. And then they're just mind blown. Yeah. Mind blown by this stuff, you know? Yeah. And you know, I, I didn't feel nearly as like, you know, it wasn't so outrageous when my parents described their childhood to me. There was some differences, yeah. certainly, but you know, now it's just, it's insane in yeah. one generation. There's funny ways it's changed even the way relationships take place. Uh, I remember yeah. in high school, for example, you know, I weren't cell phones, weren't commonplace. And right. so if you had a crush on somebody, you really had to work to track them down, you know? Yeah, you, <laughs> you couldn't, couldn't text them no. or call them. And so yeah. uh, when- you Had to like find, like stalk them in the hallway. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Had to like figure out their class schedule to know which hall they Let's were gonna uh, walk down and bump into them accidentally, you know? And, so Morgan, yeah. who's my wife, the audience wouldn't know that. Um, our first date, she initiated 
Um, but she had to work really hard to find me because it was over a winter break and yeah. there had been a big snowstorm and I was out like shoveling driveways. I was like out hustling, making that know, money, making that money. Yeah, started and early. Of course, she's, you know, calls the house yeah. to see if I'm there. And my mom tells her I'm out playing in the snow. Right. <laughs> playing. Yeah. Thanks, mom. Thanks, mom. Appreciate, Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. Yeah. Well, and I think what you bring up about you know, the experience with your kids. Mm -hmm. And I resonate with that a lot too. Right. Um, having kids sure. as well as, uh, you know, that these phone screens, technology, yeah. like they've really become the primary mode of interacting mm -hmm. with the world yeah. from the very beginning. I mean, right. you know, for our young, like they know how to work the screens like oh, yeah. intuitively. I like, my seven-year-old, he has a messenger kids account and he texts me or I mean, I don't know if it's considered a text, but a direct message or whatever. And yeah. he texts grandma and, and, you know, my dad and like different people, his, his uncle. And they're like, oh yeah, I was texting with uncle Jason, the other different Jason, you know, the other day. And I'm just like, you're what? You know? <laughs> right. It's wild. But they, they know so much at such a young age that they teach me things about my phone. And like, I'm not old you right. know like I, i've been using yeah. a smartphone since smartphones started to they exist just sit around and play with them yeah, and no, figure that stuff they out they got it yeah. down it's wild so um christopher lockhead when he talks about this concept tells a story about going to a beach with some friends and they took their kids with them and they went to this beach to watch the sunset and it was really this perfect microcosm of how different that analog and digital experience was yeah. because he sat on the beach with his friends and they just talked and they watched the sunset and they remarked on how beautiful it was and they just enjoyed the experience being together physically. Mm -hmm. And when he looked over at their kids, his kids were sitting on the beach with their phones up, right? Yeah. Recording the sunset yeah. and Instagramming it and TikToking it yeah. to their friends. And right. You know, the first reaction usually for native analogs is like, put the what's, phone what's down. What's wrong with you? Right? What, stop. Like, yeah. stop. Enjoy yeah. the experience. Mm -hmm. But what it misses be is... Be here. Be present. That's yeah. the messages that we just... Right. It wells up in us. And to yeah. them, they actually don't understand that right. because they to don't. them, they're actually connecting yeah. with a real experience. with my friends. With their I friends digitally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And actually, I think it was really funny. A recent example is... Um, when LeBron James broke the scoring record, mm. there've been some pictures where people comment on, you know, the backdrop of all the fans right. in the crowd with their phones right. up right. recording it. Hundreds of phones. And like 20 yeah. years ago, a similar shot of Michael Jordan where people are just watching the uh, game. And I think it's such wow. a fascinating dichotomy, yeah. right, of what's taking place there. And it's not that those fans aren't engaged in yeah. the experience that's happening. Super engaged, yeah. It's just a different way in which they're mm. experiencing what's taking place in the real world. So uh, really funny story to you that I saw recently when I was scrolling through Instagram trying to go to sleep one night. Uh, there was a mom who was running late getting home from work and she was trying to get a hold of her teenage daughter and she, she was trying to text her. She was trying to call her, couldn't get a hold of her. And she realized... I know what she's doing. She's playing Roblox. So mom logs into Roblox, which for those who don't know, it's a whole kind of digital world that you can go into and it's sort of open-ended and whatnot. And she finds her daughter like immediately <laughs> in the game. And you can message people in the game and tells her daughter, hey, I need you to 
actually get dinner out of the freezer. So when I get home, like it can be prepared and right. be ready quickly. And so just thought this is a funny yeah. way in which even communications take place differently yeah. for this new generation. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like in, in, in this, uh, we're, you know, kind of in the middle with millennials or our old soul millennials like us, it's, it actually goes down to like the mode of communication. So like mm-hmm. our, our friend and co-founder Chris is even a little bit older of an old soul millennial, even though he's five days older than me. <laughs> and like, I can't get him on text. I can't get him calling. I've got to email him. Like I'll text him 12 times. Hey, what are you doing tonight? And I don't get him. So I email him, what are you doing tonight? And I get something in 30 seconds. You know, like he's just a little bit more of that old soul. Does he have a landline still? Yeah, I, I, he, he probably should. Yeah, and a newspaper subscription. Um <laughs> Uh, but it, you know, it's interesting, the progression, Yeah, you know, and it's happened so fast, right? incredibly well, fast, incredibly yeah. fast. So over the last 20 years, and this was shocking to me, the first iPhone came out in, I think it was 2007. It sounds right. So, I mean, literally the iPhone has only existed for what, 16, 16 years, years yeah. now, barely. God. And so can you believe like how much this little device has transformed the right. way in which we go about right. our daily lives, right? It's incredible. We're still calling it a phone, ironically, uh, even though yeah. it's a computer in our pocket it's with true. a phone app on it. It's a good it point. It really makes no sense. Yeah. But the uh, digital uh, analog, excuse me, the native analog is still winning the uh, vernacular there, I think. It's an opportunity, new category. Yeah. Um, so... Needless to say, this transformation is well underway. It's happening rapidly. And I mean, some of the statistics show that in the next five to seven years, Gen Z and millennials are going to be two thirds of the workforce. They're about a third. Five to seven? Five to seven years. It's about a third now. That is soon. So in the next five to seven years, I mean, it's going to be a really dramatic transformation that takes place. And um, interesting stat, you already have a 62% chance today of reporting to millennial boss. So already some of these dynamics are at play. Um, but what I want us to do now is um, take a few topics yeah. that I think are relevant to our audience, relevant to anyone who's you know, in HR or anyone who just leads people for that right. matter, um, to really help think about how this framing can maybe give us a different lens hmm. on these issues. So mm-hmm. the first one I want to take is kind of the notion of return to work um, or maybe flexibility in work. Right. And so I guess maybe you could give the audience, you know, a little bit of a quick overview, just like, hey, what's the conversation around that kind of stuff out sure. there in the world I right mean, now? Uh, you know, before we started uh, how people work, you know, I was interviewing a whole lot of people on the previous podcast and a lot of CEOs and and also a lot of people leaders and just folks that were either making the decision as to, are we going to return to an office or we're going to be virtual or we're going to be hybrid or we're going to be optional, whatever. And uh, I mean, it's pretty clear. I, I could tell I could pretty much assume based on the age of the person that I began to interview mm-hmm. what the answer was going uh-huh. to be or the age of their CEO, right? Um, with some exceptions, right? I, you know, but on the whole, it was pretty clear that, you know, those that were, you know, the native analog as we're putting it, which I think is, I really like that, the native analog, native digital, because it simplifies. We're talking five generations and you're like, you know, head spinning, trying to keep up with the nuance of all five of these generations. But I think it probably is 
close enough to just say, hey, let's let's talk about two groups, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that's useful framing. And, you know, so it, I found a smattering uh, of everything, you know? Like, really, it was a, it was a cacophony of answers, if you will, from we're going to go back to work full time, and if you don't like it, deal with it. We're... We're we're virtual yeah. forever. Then there was the tech companies say we're virtual forever. Oh, six months later, never mind. We're going back to work, right? <laughs> right? Because somebody panicked <laughs> and like yeah. we're paying too much for this daggone office. You're going to use I'm it. Make use of it. Right? Yeah. Make use of it. Whatever. Um, but the conversation's been all over. That's such an analog thing to say too, which is funny because I can picture my parents even in my head that are like, I paid for this. You better make good use of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I can remember that conversation on many topics and now I'm the one saying stuff right, like that. Right. Right. Analog. Um, but the, you know, the conversation has been all over the place and, and, you know, but it's so clear where it's going to finish. I and mean, what you yeah. just said about the five to seven years before millennials and Gen Z's are two thirds of the workforce, yeah. the people really think People are going to come into an office in five to seven years. I right. mean, even now, it's like you, you're losing people by just saying, hey, we're returning to work. If I yeah. can find a similar job, similar pay, even maybe a little bit less pay, and you're not demanding that of me, yeah. bye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's just not, it's just not going to work. Um, so let me ask you something, because yeah. this will tie in. If I were to tell you that I had a face-to-face meeting with somebody, hmm. how would you assume that meeting took place? At a coffee shop or, yeah, you know, in an office of some kind? Typical native analog. <laughs> Is that the wrong answer? <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so it's actually a really interesting thing that yeah. even puts focus on the fact that when we say the same the words, same phrase, right, face-to-face. we don't actually mean the same thing. So right. in listening to some podcasts and talking to some Gen Zers, right. when they talk about having a face-to-face right. meeting, they just as soon mean I had a Zoom meeting right. where I saw the person or I had a FaceTime mm-hmm. with the person where we were face-to-face. In, saw their face. In yeah. no way implied that it was an in-person physical yeah. meeting. And so even that in and of itself yeah. kind of shines a light on this whole like return to work paradigm. I remember there's this nuance I picked up on like right after, um, I shouldn't say after COVID, but after like the scariest of the time throughout COVID, yeah. COVID and so forth and before anybody was coming back together in person at all, I remember when I would finally meet people and, and I, I would think of it as meeting them. Mm-hmm. And I would say like, it's nice to finally meet you. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting a weird look like, enough times that I met. was like, oh, I need to adjust this phrase. Yeah. Great to meet you in person. Right. Right. And I, yeah. I started adding that on so that because I just felt yeah. old saying, like, saying, <laughs> oh, nice to finally meet you. And they're like, mm, been on like 12 meetings, dude. Yes. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I've, I've felt my felt my age or my um, category yeah. in that yeah. nuanced way. Yeah. Well, and I mean, so just to kind of bring it back to the topic here, you know, this whole notion of return to work in an office and flexibility, mm. it, it's so much less about preference because I think that's the assumption right. that people leading companies make is like, it's just a matter of preference and people can get over preferences. Yeah, yeah right. Just and it's really suck not. It up, it's right. actually just a matter of yeah. they have a fundamentally different way of seeing and experiencing the mm-hmm. world right. such that they can't comprehend why work has to be done in an office when a face-to-face meeting just as easily takes place over Zoom or FaceTime as it does in the physical presence 
of yeah. other people in a building yeah. and so forth. And so and we've talked before about this whole idea of the workplace needs to catch up to the marketplace, right? In other words, work needs to catch up to life. Right. Right. And so similarly, if you're a native digital, your life looks like having Zoom calls, FaceTime yeah, with family, sending Friends. TikToks back and forth, yeah. you know, like whatever the case may be, like whatever app you're using, but you're actually going to see your people yeah. more on a screen than you are in person anyway. Yeah. For even if they're not spread out all over the country, even if they're three houses away, right. that's how you're going to interact more so yeah. anyway. So this idea that, but at work. I can't do that. It's totally different. I have to yeah. go to some arbitrary place in order to like be physically together Doesn't for some purpose sense. that I don't understand. <laughs> like, yeah. how is my work enhanced? How's my relationship enhanced? How are we a better company for that? Like, I don't. Yeah. Now, I mean, I'm I'm not speaking for myself. I actually do value it, you know, to right. a, to a degree that's hard to kind of describe. But I totally can empathize with this idea that just like. I don't, I yeah. don't get it. Like, well, and the funny thing is native digitals do value it. Right. And so they do appreciate the physical presence and proximity of other right. people and sure. kind of having that kind of community. Yeah. But when it's put into this context of you must be physically it's somewhere forced, to yeah. do work, it just doesn't compute. It doesn't make right. sense. Right. So, yeah. Um, so another topic, I think is an interesting one that this, this, I feel like probably maybe, uh, goes beyond just native digitals but it's certainly become more apparent as a result of this transformation taking place and that's that experiences are more important than stuff Ooh. and so i know you have some thoughts on this I topic do. in particular so would love to hear even just how you think about that concept yeah i mean gosh that's a big topic um how it relates to work and how it relates to life i mean i i'd say if i had to summarize it as quickly as i possibly could i'd say that our generation um and and i'd say gen z's probably as well typically being raised by gen xers who sense. i call like baby baby boomers <laughs> um they experience parents who, if they were able to accumulate wealth, typically, this big stereotype here, but, you know, that's what we're doing. Um, typically, they use that wealth to accumulate things, right? Uh, whether that was the, the bigger house or the bigger right. car. Or provide the, a better life. Or the, and that, and that's, which equated right, to... They're providing a better life. They're, you know, that that is the way in which they felt like that provision was taking place or they were... They were winning. They were, you know, they, they were getting ahead in life. And I think that the our generation, generation behind us, saw that as kind of empty, you know, of just like, yeah, you got a great big house, but like you didn't see the world. Like, yeah, you got this great like sports car, but like you don't take it anywhere, you know, or like or whatever, right? Yeah. And again, stereotyping, but it, there tends to be a very strong theme amongst millennials and Gen Zs are just like, yeah, I mean, stuff's cool. You know, like I, I, I'm not against stuff, but more so I want to make memories. Right. And I want to record those memories. Right. And I want to watch them back later. I want to share them with my friends and I, I want to see as many countries as I can. And yeah. I, you know, it, it's just a totally different mentality around the purpose of money and also kind of the purpose of time. Right. You yeah. know, like I, it's this, you know, I, I think our generation, we, were defined by this idea of kind of the fear of missing out, mm -hmm. right? I think the generation behind us is more so like, 
fear of missing a better opportunity, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so, like, there, there's just always this watchfulness for, like, what is something great that I could be a part of or go do or experience, and, yeah. you know, um, that I, I don't see that watchfulness at all yeah. in the generations that came before. Yeah. Well, I think that's something that this you know, native digitals have right here. Um, So, I mean, the statistics say 74% of Americans value experiences over physical products. So Mm. that's, you know, as of today, you know, broadly. Um, But I think it's also interesting because psychologists through research and studies that they've done have actually demonstrated scientifically that when human beings make purchasing decisions, that purchasing decisions of experiences literally provide more sustained happiness Hmm. for people than things. And so, you know, it's not just, I think it's a very positive shift, you know, generationally that, you know, that is something that is desired in that way. Um, And I mean, I think that has implications, right? As it comes to companies and leaders of companies, because one of the phrases, if I hear it one more time, I think I'm going to fall out of my seat, is how is this better than cash? Oh. <laughs> right? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A or great maybe s- get out of your seat, pick up your chair and, and break it over your leg. That, that's right. Yeah, I probably <laughs> yeah. would. Or break it over somebody else's back, maybe. <laughs> Go WWE style. Um, there's a funny Seinfeld clip, which maybe we'll post that um, along with the podcast notes that highlights it, I think, really beautifully. But uh, I mean even more than just experiences over stuff. Did you know that virtual Gucci bags were a thing? Virtual? Yes. Like purses? Yeah. Virtual purses. More of those are sold than actual Gucci bags. Get out. Yeah. For what? That's crazy. What do you do with it? It's just like part, it's, it's kind of like your avatar, right? I mean, so that's why I asked you about Ready Player One. How much One. do they cost? I have no idea. I, I, We'd have to look at it. I'm a, if we continue this discussion, <laughs> I'm going to sound ancient because that didn't compute at all. Right. But as we're saying, all of this has implications very directly, I think, for the employee experience. Oh, because, goodness. Yeah. You know, what does pay look like? I mean, sufficient pay certainly matters, but we've heard for years now that employees, especially younger employees, yeah. value certain things more than additional pay, right? Yeah. And so that brings us to what kinds of things matter most to people? What Mm. benefits matter most to people? How do you think about rewards and recognition, i.e. not just crummy gift cards to buy stuff, right? But meaningful experiences, I think, is much more going to lend itself to what this generation desires its upcoming. Yeah, I mean, I'll never forget our our friend at Capital One, a pretty high-level employee, right, in her, I don't know, 20, 25 year anniversary or something, mm-hmm. right? And and she her choice was like, you can have this kitchen appliance or right. this like knockoff Rolex. Right. And it, she was so offended yeah. by this. I mean, it had such a negative impact. It would have been verbatim. I remember her saying, it would have been far better to give me nothing yeah. than to give me options of just like stuff that like isn't that meaningful it is like it's it's not personalized to me at all it's just something mm-hmm. you know like why why even bother so i love that stat around 74% of uh you know preferring experiences because that's that's not pointing to necessarily one generation or two generations i mean right. that, that's pretty widespread yeah you know so I, I think it has a huge impact and i think that i think that we mistake 
the idea of, well, I have a program. I rolled something out. Right. And that that in and of itself is always good. Right. I think there's so many times we do more harm than good by just rolling out something to check a box. Mm-hmm. You know, that is a big mistake. And I think with five generations or even with two sort of native groups, if you want to look at it that way, mm-hmm. you got to have a lot of intention to help me put a lot of thought into how you approach compensation, benefits, where people work, when they work, what their schedules look like, right. et cetera. You, you can't just sort of, you know, just throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. So the last topic I want to hit on, and then we can maybe wrap up with a few ideas around, you know, what can companies be doing, yeah. you know, with this framing here, um, is around work experience. And so this is kind of the notion of how native digitals think about the necessity of certain kinds of training in relation to their work experience. So mm-hmm. for example, college degrees. So we were talking about this just before the podcast here, but that 51% of Gen Z doesn't care about getting a college degree, that they're more Mind interested blowing. in skills-based education, yeah. training on the job. Um, you know, I think a good analogy is they see work more like climbing on a jungle gym than, hmm. you know, climbing a rope or a ladder, for example. And so, I mean, it'd be interesting just to kind of comment on that for a moment because yeah. it's such a different change even from what we experienced, you know, not that long ago. Yeah, I mean, it was... I mean, geez. I mean, I think by the time I was even in middle school, you know, there was conversations beginning about not, mm-hmm. are you going to go to college? Where, Where? do you want to go to? Yeah. What, what are you going to study in college? There was a an assumption that unless we were in a situation where we simply could not afford college, which really there's tons of programs out there to help with that, you know, um, but even still, like, that was the only way it wasn't going to happen. If our family was in dire need, right, and you need to go out and work now, or we, you know, just didn't have the resources or something, uh, that was the only possible way that I was not going to go to college. And that wasn't my family. That was everybody I knew. Yeah. You know, it's just like, that's what you did next. Because if you did not do that, the assumption was your opportunities are severely limited. Right. Right which didn't actually turn out to be true necessarily, right? right? Uh, I appreciate my college education. I I appreciate even more the time I spent there. Right. But I could have done literally everything I've done from the age of 22 to now without that degree. Yeah, same. It did nothing to help me get here, right? Not what I learned in class. Maybe what I learned about doing my own laundry, you yeah. know, what I learned about cleaning my, cleaning my house or like the life skills, I could, I could have learned that on yeah. a job, you know, living well, in an apartment. Native Digitals are wising up to it because they're saying, well, why pay a hundred grand or more right. for this right? in order to get a degree that, as you said, has served you none You're right? in the things that you've done over the past decade or more. Yeah, I mean, I even think about, and not to always take things back to kids, but, you know, I got five of them, I think about it all the time, uh, <laughs> you know, like it, I'm not, I'm not even saving towards college for them, I'm just saving in accounts for each one, right. just sort of like generic sort of advisory accounts that 
or taxable that could be used for anything. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to seed their business Start or business. I'm going to, you know, like yeah. they're going to go to trade school or they're going to come right. work for me or be able to buy a house even, yeah, which buy a house. native digitals can't do these days. Right. Yeah. I, I have no idea. And I, you know, I just stopped assuming a little while ago that college was the route and has, it's no comment yeah. on them as individuals and their capabilities or, or sure. even their personalities. Well, I it's think just, it's a comment on the necessity yeah. of it to actually move forward in the yeah. world. And so, I mean, well, that's, colleges kind of priced themselves out too. I mean, yeah, that's another piece much so. of the puzzle there. Right. But yeah. I think companies aren't adapting quickly to that reality. And so, yeah. I mean, the fact of the matter is you're going to have more and more young employees coming in with, you know, no pedigree, let's say, yeah, as it relates right. to, yeah. you know, college education. In that way. Yeah. But I think still highly valuable employees who are going to be looking to companies saying, hey, how are you going to train me? How are you going to develop me? Are there apprenticeships? Are there ways that you can teach me on the job? Mm -hmm. Like the really practical mm -hmm. skills that I need to actually be successful in the world versus the Which college. is ironically kind of old school. Yeah, it yeah, is. It, it is. is. It's, it's going back in time, but in a kind of a right, fresh but new it's, way because uh, the opportunities are different. Right. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, well, think about too. I mean, think about when we did financial planning, I remember... I remember we had clients that were like 18 years old. Yeah. You know, that were had such Instagram followings that they were making far more money than you and I probably ever will yeah. at 18. Yeah. You know, it was just like, that was not a thing. Right. <laughs> no, that was not a thing. Like a generation yeah. Well, before. and even on the opposite end of that, there's yeah. a guy that who also started working when he was 18 right yeah. out of school at the nuclear plant, right? right. So like a skilled trade, yeah. but, you know, by his mid-20s, he was making $150,000. Right. I mean, so right. like it, there's opportunity out there that doesn't require that same kind of path that I think was instilled in us in that yeah, way. So, um, well, let's wrap up just talking a little bit about what, what can companies do? Like what, how, how do we take this framing, maybe apply it to, you know, some of the ways that we go about building companies, leading people and so forth. And so we'd love to hear from yeah. you some things that come to mind. I mean, what I hear just listening to ourselves in this conversation and thinking about trying to lead a company, you know, ourselves, I, I think we just need to be flexible. We need to be really open-minded we, like, we just need to not think about things like pedigree in the same way. We need to not think about, you know, where people work and how they work in, in the same way. And we need to understand that people need different things. And the only way to provide such a diverse group of people an opportunity to be successful in the way that they need to be successful is to be incredibly flexible. Yeah. Right? You can't say, well, we're all you know, going to return to this office all the time. We can't, and I, I would argue, you can't also say we're all going to re, be remote only and there's never an opportunity. There's never an opportunity for you guys to get together and get around a whiteboard right, that's and, not what's desired, and solve some problems. Fact, like, yeah. exactly. No, like, I would argue probably nobody or most people don't want zero opportunity for right. that, right? Yeah. They just want the flexibility, right? And that's challenging, and to some degree, it could be expensive even, but I think about how we run our company, right? We think about, okay, well, we don't provide an office space for every single person, right. but we almost account for it as if we do, right? Like, what would it cost to provide a desk for every single person? And then how could we use those funds differently because we don't provide a right. desk for every single to person? To people to serve the need of getting together occasionally, yeah. right, for that team building and, and that, you know, figuring, you know, problem solving and doing some of those things together and breaking bread and whatever. 
Um, and, and I think that's, that's the type of thinking that's needed, right? It's just like, okay, it's whatever we've done in the past, let's take the lessons that can apply and let's use those and let's let the other ones kind of fall by the wayside that just don't apply anymore. Yeah. And that kind of stubborn attitude of just like, I've been here, I've done that, I know how things work. Like, sorry, the world's changing too fast to think that what we learned 10 years ago is still relevant. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. It, so I, I'd say above all, and in the interest of time, I'd just say be flexible, be open-minded, and understand that your employees are very, very different than one another. And potentially the group as a whole is very different than whoever you were leading 10 years ago or 20 years ago, if you've been doing it that long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's... I, say you might even call it an arrogance of sort of every preceding generation yeah. that, you know, assumes totally. that, you know, hey, just the way things are is yeah. the best way, right. right? And there's a resistance. And so what I'm hearing you say is, you know, being willing to move through this transformation that's mm -hmm. taking place, mm -hmm. being flexible, being adaptable, and not just fighting it, right? Is yeah, I think, a huge you, part. I think you got to know what your absolutes are and you got to know what kind of your relative truths are, right? Like yeah. there are some things that have carried through all generations and will carry through all generations, right? Like things just like being humble and kind to your people and listening to them, yeah. right? Whether you're listening over Zoom or in person over coffee, that's, that's kind of a universal absolute, right? Yeah. But then there's a whole lot of things that I think we as leaders, especially the older we are, we want to hold on to them and be like, no, 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 this is how business is. Mm -hmm. And it's no, that actually belongs in the category of things that you need to be open-minded and open-handed about. Yeah. And I think that's the difference between great leadership and kind of average leadership going into the next, you know, yeah. 10, 15 years. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap up this conversation. And I hate to break it to you, but you failed to use the word of the day. I did not from the last conversation. I said cacophony. You said it? I said, you missed it. I totally oh, missed it. that was smooth. Oh. I'm a smooth operator today. Yes. You are. I was yeah. talking about interviewing CEOs and getting a cacophony of answers. I was getting which excited. Which is kind of not I was, using it correctly, but it was close. Yeah, my active <laughs> listening was just, you know. That's okay. Sorely lacking there. You're forgiven. What's my word next week? Well, I got excited because I thought we could keep score and like I get a point if you forget to use oh. it and then you get a point when you do use You're it. You're going to get crushed if we do that. I am going to get crushed. Yeah, <laughs> probably true. Uh, well, the word of the day for the next episode will be anachronism. Good gosh. These are not getting easier. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be uh, Googling that in about five minutes. <laughs> so, well, thank you everyone for joining us on this episode and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.